This is Ashley Stone, and you're listening to The Comeback Podcast. So Emma, I am, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. Um, you reached out to me with your story and gave me kind of a synopsis over email, and I was just so moved by your story. Um, it's like I said, it's a story that people really need to hear. And um, I think that it's just so powerful. So I'm going to just kind of let you go for it and just tell your story from, you know, from the beginning and um, towards the end, I'll ask you a couple questions and we'll go from there. Okay. Sounds good. <laughs> um, so I... I guess I'll start at the very beginning. I am a convert to the church. Um, when I grew up, my family was not religious. We didn't go to church. It was not a thing at all. Um, when I was in my freshman year of high school, I had a friend who, I don't remember exactly how it came up, but she talked about being Mormon. And I was like, what, what is that? I have never heard of this. I don't know anything about it. I think somebody had actually made fun of her or like picked on her about it. And I was like, I don't understand why these people are doing this. Like, what is, what's the deal with this? And she, um, her name is Tiffany. She invited me to church and I don't know why I was just so like, yes, I want to see what this is all about. And um, the first time I went to church actually wasn't like a sacrament meeting. I went to seminary, early morning seminary. Cause she was like, oh, we go every morning at 5.30 in the morning. Um, and then you can come on Sunday if you want. And I remember I had a couple of friends that I had like dragged with me. <laughs> Because I was like, I don't know what this is about, and it's really early in the morning, and I don't want to go alone. And I remember my friends were so mad at me afterwards. They were like, no, we're, I'm never going to that again. 5.30 is way too early to get up. But I I loved it. I don't know. It was just like it was such a different experience for me. And I remember they had... Uh, Someone had let, uh, left a set of scripture, scriptures um, and had like moved away. And so they gave me a set of scriptures, you know, the Bible and the like Book of Mormon and Doctrine and Covenants. And, you know, I was sort of told like, read the Book of Mormon and pray to know if it's true. Um, and I remember, I wanna say that night or the next morning, I did that and I had <clears throat> such a profound experience when I did that. It was like nothing I've ever felt before or really even since that I can describe. It was just like, I knew, like I didn't even really have to pray. Like I read the first couple sentences of First Nephi and I was like, yep, something inside of me says, yes, this is it, this is the truth. And, um, and like, I knew right away. And so I talked to my friend and was like, you know, well, tell me more. How do I, you know, how do I become Mormon? And she introduced me to the missionaries. Um, and my parents, 
at first, so my my parents got divorced when I was really young. So it was my mother and my stepfather. They didn't know anything about Mormons. They'd never heard about the LDS church. There was, none of us knew anything about it. And I think my mother must have talked to somebody at her work that must have had really bad feelings about the church. Because I remember at first she was really, um, just sort of like, okay, this is weird, whatever. I'm going to be okay with it. Um, and then something switched and she was like, nope, I don't want you to be part of this. It's a cult. It's, they're all crazy. Like, I don't want you to convert. <clears throat> um, I don't want the missionaries at my house. I don't want you meeting with them. And I kind of sort of weaseled my way around that by getting to meet with the missionaries at my friend's house. Um, because I was like, no, I want to do this. I don't care what my mother says. Like, this is, this is, this is where I belong. Um, and so I met with the missionaries and I went through all of the, all of the, like, I think they've since sort of changed some of the missionary lessons. Um, but I went through all of the ones before you get baptized and they really, really wanted me to get baptized. And I really wanted to get baptized. And I tried to get my mother to let me. And she, nope, she refused. I wasn't allowed to. Like, it was like a big deal. Like, you know, when you're 14, everything's so dramatic. So it was like the end of the world, but she didn't want me to be Mormon. And... And so, like, even though I was going, she was okay with me going to seminary in the morning and going to church on Sundays, she wasn't okay with me getting baptized. That was, like, where she drew the line and was like, when you are 18 and you're out of the house, you can do whatever you want. But until then, no. Um, but the missionaries, the elders, I don't even remember their names, but, um, you know, they were pretty insistent. I really, really wanted me to try and convince her. And I was like, you guys don't know my mother. If she says no, and she digs her heels in, there's no changing her mind. She can be a very stubborn person sometimes. Um, not always a bad thing, but so it just sort of got to a point where there was a lot of pressure to get baptized and I couldn't, it wasn't something I was allowed to do. And so I stopped going to church for a little while. Um, and I don't, I don't really remember too much between when I stopped and when I started again, because my sophomore year, I definitely went to seminary for much longer than during my freshman year. And I started meeting with sister missionaries who, you know, I explained to them, like, this is what happened last time. My mom's not going to let me get baptized. Like, I'm happy to meet with you. I want to learn everything, but like, that's not a reality. And they were, you know, I think they were much more understanding and um, they agreed to teach me and they taught me all of the like before baptism and after baptism lessons. Um, just as like a, we're just going to teach you all the things because we know that you want to do this and one of these days you'll be able to. And so we'll just teach you everything. And um, 
it I I loved it. I loved getting up at 5:30 in the morning and going to seminary. I had great grades. My I do homework between when seminary ended and when class would start and so I really good grades. Um I think what ended up happening this is 20 plus years ago so I don't really remember but I think the person that was driving us to seminary in the morning moved and so I wasn't able to go and my mom was not going to help me with that she there wasn't anyone else I could get rides with and so I ended up sort of stopping going and there was you know my mom was kind of antagonistic about the whole thing the whole time um but I I kind of wrote in my story in the email I I still wanted I still had that like feeling of like wanting to connect with God and my parents were okay with the catholic church they were like yes you can get baptized catholic because you know i had this you know understanding that i needed to be baptized like that was something that i had to do and so they were like yep we'll let you go to the catholic church we're okay with that we don't think that's a you know, we don't think they're crazy which i think mm-hmm. is kind of funny now but um <laughs> they let me go and i ended up going through the whole like catechism process the confirmation process it's about 8 or 9 months of like classes you take and at easter around easter is when you get baptized um and you know i i loved going to church i loved studying the bible Um, I don't think I ever lost my like testimony of the church. It was just, I wasn't allowed to. And so I was just sort of doing the best I could to still like live that sort of like righteous life. Um, And I, you know, at, at the time I was like, I want to, so I'm transgender for those who are listening and who aren't aware. Um, so I was male, presenting as male at the time. I wanted to be a priest. I was like, you know what? I want to devote my life to God. I want to, like, I want to go and become a priest. And I remember asking the priest that had baptized me, like, what that process was. And he was really kind of dismissive. He was just like, well, slow down. Like, you've been a Catholic for, like, two minutes. Like... <laughs> you would just wait on that and and again i think i was 17 18 so it was still like it was very crushing it's like oh this is something i really cared about and wanted to do um so that sort of i don't know tarnished things with the catholic church a little for me after that school that was my senior year of high school um i started working as a lifeguard at the community center and one of the other lifeguards was one of the guys i had gone to seminary with and you know we really caught up with one another and he was he hadn't gone on his mission yet he was planning to go he was working to save money so that he could like pay whatever to go on his mission and you know he he like zeroed in on me of like wait a minute you used to come to church and i don't see you anymore what happened and you know by time 
summer ended and I was going up to college, I had sort of made an agreement with him that, like, no, I definitely, I'm going to go and I'm going to get baptized when I go up to school because I'll finally be away from home. My parents can't stop me. I will go and finish what I started all those years ago. And, um, and I didn't do that. I went to school and it was a brand new experience. And my, my home life was kind of stifling in a lot of ways. My parents were both police officers, so they were very like authoritarian and very kind of controlling in a lot of ways. So there was just this newfound freedom of being at college and I think I just sort of got lost in that and got distracted and completely forgot about this promise to get baptized. And it, it really wasn't good overall. It was not a great experience. Um, my best friend and I had gone to school together. He was Catholic. He was, it was his mother that had actually sponsored me through catechism. Um, and he, he became an alcoholic and was drinking all the time. And there was sort of like pressure for me to do a lot of that stuff. And it wasn't ever anything I really enjoyed doing, but I went along with it and was just miserable. It was not, I wasn't happy. Um, and so, and I almost like failed out of college. It was, it was a bad, bad time. <laughs> and so I went back to work at the pool again over the winter break. And Zach, that's my the friend that I'd gone to seminary with, he was there and he was so excited when he saw me. He's like, did you get baptized? And was so thrilled. And I was like, oh no. <laughs> kind of had that feeling like when you forget to write a paper and you're like, that was due today. Like, oh no, like that sort of feeling of, I can't believe I forgot to do this. Um, so he, he really, he really hammered away of like, come on. He said, you're going to do this. Why didn't you do it? And I was like, okay, okay. Yes. I'm going to go. When I go back up, I'm going to do it this time. And I did. I, when I went back the first week I was back up at school, um, I figured out that there was a Institute building. So singles were right on campus. Um, and I'm from Colorado. That's where I grew up. Um, so I went, I like figured out where it was. I went and I walked in and the elders, Elder Hall and Elder Dietrich, I'll never forget them. They were sitting there in the little foyer and they were like people running around because it's a very active institute. There was probably almost maybe 200 of us total. Like there was a lot of people at this institute um, <clears throat> in that singles award. And I remember walking up to Elder Hall and being like, I want to get baptized. And they were just like awestruck of like, wait, this person we've never seen, never talked to, just walked in and said they want to get baptized. And um, you know, I met with them and I told them like, this is what's happened. This, I've gone through the missionary lessons twice now. Like I wasn't allowed to be baptized. I want to be baptized. And so I had to go through them a third time because you have to like, you know, cross all the T's and dot all the I's. Um, but I think I did that in about 
a week. It was like a week, a week and a half, and then I was baptized. And it... I just loved it. It was so much fun. I, I loved institute classes. Um, my sophomore year of college, I was um, one of the bishops in that stake was very wealthy and he had set up a scholarship program for members of the church who like you really had to be very very active in order to qualify for the scholarship and because i was already so active they were like why don't you join like we have this open spot do you want the scholarship this is what you have to do to you know qualify for it and i was like for sure absolutely um and I mean, that included, like, you could never miss a single Sunday. You had to be actively, like, full-time in the institute classes. You had to, um, we had, like, lists of members that had either been, you know, sort of out for a while or who hadn't been in church in a while. And, like, it was sort of our job as part of that to go and try and be like, hey, why don't you come to church? Like, um, and also part of it was I moved into a dorm room where all of my roommates were Mormon. Like all of us were scholarships students. Um, and so it, I don't know, there was just, my sophomore year was just really Awesome. I guess I should rewind. Um, my freshman year, I <clears throat> had gone to general conference, like we had tickets. And so I went with a bunch of people from the singles ward and we drove out to Utah and to Salt Lake City and we went to, um, they had one or two sessions that we had tickets for. And I remember I went to the priesthood one and I came out of it and was like, I'm going to go on a mission like this. Like I, this is what I want to do. I feel called to do this. Um, and I decided to tell my parents that this is what I wanted to do. And I don't think I have ever had a more like horrible, terrible argument with my mother than that discussion of wanting to go on a mission and like it was, they threatened to disown me. They were like, if you go on a mission, we're not going to pay for school anymore. You're not going to like, we're not going to help you with college. We're not going to help you like save money for this. Like they were like, we're going to be done with you if you do this. Um, <clears throat> and so I had called my father cause I was like, okay, he'll support me. He, he's always got my back. He's a different kind of parent. No, I still remember like him being so angry at me that I wanted to go on a mission and wanted to interrupt college. And I was the first family member in both sides of my family to go to college. So it was like a really big deal. And so I was just sort of crushed of like, I'm going to get this out if I go. Um, so that was really hard and it kind of became part of what drove a wedge between me and the church a little bit 
in my later years in college was there was a lot of like pressure, a lot of expectation for young men to go on missions. And, you know, my parents were like, okay, if you are still Mormon and you still want to go on a mission after you graduate college, we will help you do that. We will pay for it. And so it was sort of like, okay, fine. Like that's the compromise. I will finish school first and, and then I'll go. And I know that they only offered that as like, oh, we're hoping you'll forget that you want to be Mormon and that you'll forget about this. Um, but it just became, I don't know, more and more clear that that wasn't going to happen. And I stopped going to church for a little bit of my like senior year of college. Um, and, you know, I had those friends that I had known for years that drank all the time. They partied. They, like, you know, they had the very typical college experience. And they were very quick to be like, come back, come back. Like, stop being Mormon. You're boring when you're Mormon. Like, come and hang out and party with us. And I did that a little bit but it was just miserable. Every time it's always been miserable. Um, and I had, I had started dating somebody who was not Mormon. And, you know, there was, I was drinking, I won't lie. There was, I was drinking alcohol and it just got very depressing. I just got very, very depressed and was like, you know what? Maybe that word of wisdom was there for a reason. Like maybe the Mormons are right about this. And, and so I ended up going back to church again and, um, it, it was just like, it always was. Every time I went back, I was always so happy to be there and it was so, nice and the girl that i was dating at the time i told her like we had been talking about getting married and i was like okay if we're gonna get married you have to be mormon you have to get baptized like i'm not okay with us getting married if you don't convert and and she did she did convert and but it was like she only did it for me. She wasn't actually interested. She didn't want that. She just wanted to marry me and was going to do whatever she needed to do to make sure we got married. And I did end up marrying her. So I never went on the mission. Um, I got married and I moved to uh, Minnesota. That's where I live now. And it wasn't long after I moved here that stopped going to church. She never was interested in going to church. Um, I did a little bit, but I sort of got to this place and this is where the like, the really sad part to me comes in is, um, I just kept going back and forth of like, I want to go to church, but then I always end up kind of leaving, but then I always go back and I was really like, okay, I know my heart tells me that this is true, but like logically, is this true? Mm, I don't know. I'm going to do this wonderful thing of reading, you know, the anti-Mormon literature, all the different 
criticisms of the church. And I was like, if I read this and I still feel like it's true, then I will continue, I'll keep going. And I, I did read it and I remember feeling very, I don't know, confused. And I think a lot of people who do something similar or who end up reading it can often feel really like the church lied to me or it hid things or, you know, there was just a lot of inform a lot, a lot of information and I'll come back to this in a, at the end, but you know, there was lots of information that was just like, oh, wow, that really sort of changes my perspective on things. And I think honestly, I was sort of trying to find a reason to not go anymore. And so it was, it was very easy to be like, oh, I'm going to latch onto this and like, nope, none of it's real. None of it's true. It was just a whole, you know, con game or something like I became very, not like militantly anti-Mormon, but was just like, nope, nope, I'm done. And I even went so far and this makes me really sad now, but I even went so far as like, I burned my patriarchal blessing and was like, nope, I'm done. I'm out. Like, I'm never going back again. Um, and the funny thing is, is, I still have those scriptures I got when I first, first went to seminary. Like, even through all of that, I still didn't get rid of them. Like, the ones I paid for, it makes sense why I was sort of like, I paid a lot of money for these, but the ones that I didn't, it's just, I couldn't. Get, I, I couldn't get rid of them. There was just something that wouldn't let me. Um, but so I stopped going and that was about 10 years ago. Um, and was just like, nope, I'm done, never going back. And, you know, throughout the whole story, I struggled at various points with my gender and my gender identity and I think my earliest recollection of really struggling with it was when I was like probably eight or nine years old. Um, and so it was always sort of this thing in the back of my mind that I was, I think, trying to avoid or trying to find other things to like make me feel okay when there were other things that weren't letting me feel okay. Um, and so once I had stopped, I ended up um, I became friends with a few people who were transgender and went through gender transitions. And and it just sort of became really obvious that like this was a thing that I couldn't deny anymore. I couldn't deny like who I was and how I'd always felt. And um, so I did transition genders and in between when I left church and when I came back and um, that was about seven years ago, and um, I ended up getting divorced from my uh, the person that I'd married. And I know I know that there were times in that like seven year period where I wanted to come back to church. I did like I wanted to. Like, I still felt, I still felt it, even though, like, logically, it was like, no, this isn't a thing. It's not true. Like, I still felt called to come back, but I just sort of, 
I was scared to because I didn't I wasn't going to detransition. I wasn't going to go back to being Robert. I was Emma. I transitioned socially. I changed my name, my legal gender, like I had built a whole life as this new person. And did you transition um before you got divorced or after you got divorced? Um, so I transitioned before um, she was she was really supportive through a lot of it. It was hard. It was really hard on our relationship. And it ultimately was a big part of why we got divorced was just I became a woman and she wasn't attracted to women. And um, we're not really friends anymore. Just sort of kind of how it ended at the end but I don't think we ever hated each other it was just she married a man and I wasn't that anymore um so she and I stayed together for about a year after about six months after I came out to everyone and family in the world and my job and school and everything um so how did yeah. your parents handle that? You know, with just how they felt about the church and everything. I'm curious to know how they responded to that. Um, my mother didn't believe me at first. She, that, and that's, I love her to pieces. Like I have a, a overall really good relationship with my mom. Like we've been very close most of my life, but there's just been a lot of times where something was really important to me and she just was like, no, that's not a thing. Similar to like wanting to be born and coming out as transgender was like, no, that's not a thing. And it took a, a little while to really like nail that down of like, no, this is something I'm doing. Like I want you in my life and I love you and I don't want to lose you. And I'm going to do this even if you do leave. Like, I tried, I tried being, you know, I tried living this very imposter syndrome feeling life as a man for 29 years, and I'm, I'm done. I can't do it anymore. Um, and I think when I put it in those terms, she started to get it, and then you know, she came to visit me and I remember I was in therapy. I had started going to therapy because I was like, I think I should talk to a therapist about this first before I make this giant, you know, decision. And I had my mom come to a therapy uh, session and I think we just, it really became obvious to her that I was like miserable. Like I didn't want to live anymore. I was ready to just you know, just end my life because I couldn't, it was either I was transitioning or I was going to die. Like it was, there was no in between. Um, and I think that really changed her perspective of like, oh, I don't want my child to die. Like, I don't want you to feel so miserable that you kill yourself. So, um, that I think flipped a switch for her. She and my stepdad got divorced when I was in the middle, like towards the end of college. So he didn't factor into it at all. My father, um, 
in a lot of ways, I think he did a better job than my mom accepting it. Um, he did a better job, like, using my proper name, excuse me, the right pronouns. Um, excuse me, sorry. <clears throat> so I think he did better in a lot of ways than my mom did. And, I mean, it's been, like I said, seven years, and sometimes she still uses my my dead name or my birth name that I don't use anymore or she uses the wrong pronouns she's gotten a lot better at like using them more properly and like will catch herself a lot of the time but sometimes I still have to correct her so mm. it's a little sad sometimes yeah. but um so you're, you know, you're, you're transition now, you are divorced and you're embarking on this new life. What, what happened next? Um, well, I'm not going to lie and say it went great. It didn't. It was really hard to get divorced. I, you know, I really took that vow of like a, I vowed on for the rest of my life to be with this person. So that was really hard. And um, there is a thing in the like LGBTQ communities where a lot of the safe spaces are in bars and clubs where there is a lot of like substance use and a lot of like not wholesome things. Um, it's, I think it's just a, an unfortunate side effect of history that a lot of the safe places for people who come out are those scenes. Um, so I, you know, I was very sad about being, getting divorced. And so, I mean, I, I, I don't know why I went into substance use. I started drinking a lot and became very unhappy. I had I struggled with an eating disorder for a long time, primarily because I hated my body. I hated, I could, like, I felt so uncomfortable in who I was. Um, as the transition went on and I started, like, hormones and started changing physically, that got better. But substance use and eating disorders have a really high, like, correlation between the two of them. Um, so there was... A good period of you know, five six years that it was not well it was about four years three or four years that it was really it was really rough it was not I, I didn't do well there was a lot of like therapy stuff I had to do I had to go through treatment um, twice actually but I I came out of treatment and it just became really obvious to me. So anyone who's familiar with like 12 step, like AA, NA, they're very God heavy. They're very higher power. And that was hard for me for a while because I had this, like, I want to be Mormon. I want to be active in the church and I don't think they'd ever accept me. And so like, I had this really not great relationship with, you know, a higher power. Um, it wasn't until I 
started looking into Judaism, actually. I had a friend who was Jewish, and I started asking them questions, and it sort of gave me this, like, one foot in, one foot out feeling of, like, oh, I get to, you know, lean back towards that, like, faith in God that I've always had in a sort of an environment that is a little less... The reform movement of Judaism is very outwardly open to people who are transgender or gay or lesbian or bisexual. They're very, they have like a really open arm policy towards that. And so it was sort of this, like, I get to be me and I get to be safe and I get to really like embrace my love of God and the way that I used to be able to. And you know, I was looking into becoming Jewish because I was like, yep, this is, this is, you know, something that I can, this was like a, a happy medium for me in a way. Um, and I, so I actually had gone back to grad school. I became a therapist. I am a mental health therapist now. And in that process, I became, um, a certified mindfulness teacher. And when I'm helping people with depression and anxiety and I'm teaching them mindfulness, I sort of had this thought of like, well, maybe I should practice what I'm preaching, right? Like I'm gonna teach people mindfulness and how it can really help and I should use it myself. And when I really started doing that, um, and I think I sort of said this in the email, like, when I really got very still and very quiet internally and like kind of quieted my mind and was very present, like I really felt the spirit start to come back. And, and it, it became very, very obvious to me, um, the sister missionaries in the ward that I go to called me and I screened the phone call the first time. I didn't know it was them. It was just a number I didn't recognize. I screened it. Um, and then they called like 10 seconds later. And I was like, oh goodness, is this one of my clients who's in like a mental health crisis? <laughs> and now I need to answer because, you know, that's my job. And nope, it was the sister missionaries. And they were like, is, you know, Brother Thrumston there? And and it was just this very awkward conversation where my immediate response was like, nope, nope, he, this isn't his number. They're like, oh, well, would you be okay with us coming over and sharing a message? I'm like, nope, that's okay. I don't want anything to do with that. And they're like, okay, was well, there anything we can help you with? No strings attached. And I'm just like, nope, it's okay. Thank you. You know, good luck. And ended the phone conversation and because I had sort of opened myself up to that, being able to hear the spirit again, there was very much a nope, like knocking on the door inside my mind of like, no, 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 you can't ignore this. You need to talk to them. You need to go back to church. And I, it was, it was a very overwhelming evening of me trying to like, process the like cognitive dissonance of like 
I'm me, I'm transgender, I am this person. And the church is not necessarily the most welcoming or friendly in its policies towards people like me. And yet I feel this very, very strong call to go back. And so there was just this like, you know, wrestling match. I'm thinking of, is it Jacob and the angel or whoever was wrestled with the angel? Like it felt like there was just this wrestling match inside my mind that I was like, am I really going to do this? And I, you know, I read that they had changed, the church had changed some of their policies a couple of years ago. And like there was some movement around it. And so I was like, okay, I'm just going to text the missionaries back and be like, what time is church? What's the address? Um, And decided that I was going to go one time. I was going to see how it felt to see how the experience was like. And if it was terrible, I was like, I'm never going to come back. It's going to be done for good. Um, and it wasn't, it wasn't terrible. It was really wonderful. And the funny thing is, is it was the weekend and the, when I had stopped going to church, it was still three hours. So I did not know it was only two hours. I wasn't aware that that shift had happened. Isn't it such a nice shift? Every time <laughs> I'm at finishing church, I'm like, I cannot believe this used to be three hours. <laughs> They're like, okay, the like sacrament meeting's over. We're going to go to Release Society. And I was like, wait, there's not like Sunday school <laughs> in between? Like, what? Um, and that was very nerve wracking because I sort of had thought in my mind maybe I would dip out before Release Society because like that can get a little hairy when you're transgender. Um, it, it, as far as I'm aware, the church policies are very, like, the bishop and the stake need to, like, discuss it at the ward level of whether or not they're okay with someone going to priesthood or relief society when they are identifying as a gender, not what they were assigned. Um, so it was very, like, oh, no. we're going straight to Relief Society and I'm like panicking like I haven't told the missionaries who or what I am like okay I'm gonna go and it was such a fun experience like I won't say hated priesthood meeting or like the hour of priesthood but I always felt kind of uncomfortable I felt like I wasn't supposed to be there like I said, it was very imposter syndrome anytime I was in a, a priesthood part of church. And I just sort of assumed that was like normal, I guess. I don't know. So going to Relief Society was a vastly different experience and was very, just made me super, super happy. Um, and, you know, I eventually did come out to Sister Missionaries and was like, I know you called Brother Thrumston, and I told you it wasn't his number, and then you met me, who is definitely a member who knows, like, I'm not new to church. Um, So I'm just going to, like, 
reveal the truth here of like, I guess I wasn't completely honest. Like I used to be him, but I'm not anymore. And they were like, no, we kind of wondered, but we weren't sure. So they were really great about it. They've been very great about it. Um, and, you know, it's just been such a wonderful experience to come back and people, I mean, I live in a pretty like liberal city, Minneapolis and St. Paul are very liberal when it comes to LGBTQ things. Like it's, it's not rare for people here to meet or know transgender people. So my guess is some of my experience will be different because of that, because I come from a very like pride happy kind of city. Um, but people have just been so nice. And so like, you're so welcome here. Like, um, the Relief Society president was like, like, no, you belong in Relief Society. There's no question of whether or not you should be here. And wow. I mean, the bishop, he's, I, I don't know that he, and he, he acknowledged like that he wasn't, he's like, I'm probably going to say things that are going to be offensive and please know I don't mean it that way. Like, I just don't know what I don't know. And like, you know, he's been a little more, not in any negative way, but just unfamiliar, um, unfamiliar, yeah. maybe. So, but you know, the sisters, a lot of them have very different, they have more of that like open armed approach to things and they have been really very sweet, very kind to me. So it's like, it's, it's been so much easier than I thought it would be. Do and you, how do you, um, with, with things in the church, you know, like, um, you mentioned this a little bit in your email, but with those things that, you know, is it hard for you to think, you know, like, are those things triggering for you? Like the proclamation to the family or like, how do you handle those things that might be kind of a challenge? Oh yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's definitely, I mean, I think for me, I've been at this for so long. Like I said, it's been seven years. Um, I was like interviewed on the news about my gender transition. I, I wrote a blog for a long time that was like internationally read. I was published in like periodicals that went out. Like I did a lot of activism around transgender awareness and rights. So this isn't something that's new to me. Um, I'm used to people not understanding or being confused or saying the wrong things. And like, I work at a nonprofit and I'm one of the chairs. There's two chairs of the um, diversity committee. And, you know, it's an organization that has done a lot of work towards including LGBTQ people. And so I'm really used to going into environments and being part of organizations that are not quite there, yeah. that are 
maybe changing or starting to shift. Um, but as far as the church is concerned, I mean, there are some things that are really hard. What? So I, um, another question for you is you mentioned that you were really diving deep into like anti literature and things like that. How did you kind of reconcile that with coming back? What did that look like for you? Um, well, in that period of time between when I asked when church was and when I actually went, I decided to look at a lot of it again. Not all of it, but I looked at probably the bigger pieces that had been a really big, like, falling out point for me. And it, it was, I don't know, it was so easy to see it differently. Like, you know, a lot of the criticism of Joseph Smith is like this idea that he like bamboozled these people, right? That he wasn't actually a prophet and he just did enough that they would believe him. And everything that they sort of cite as some sort of like critique on his character as a person is so steeped in rumor and conjecture of like, okay, like if we come at this from he was a prophet and he was helping in the restoration of the church and we believe Satan is here and has at his capability countless people who, you know, don't want the truth and don't love the truth and who are willing and able to gossip and lie and twist things. Like, it just, it to me, it just seemed like, I don't, I don't know how to really explain why, but it just, I was just like, well, yeah, of course they said that because they're basing this on rumors and conjecture. Like, well, he talks about, you know, he helped someone who was digging for treasure. And then all of a sudden that turns into, he's a, you know, a gold digger or whatever, I don't remember what they called it, but, you know, just sort of this idea of like, you can so easily see how that spreading from one person to the next, to the next, who all have malintent could easily get twisted into something else. Like anyone who's played the telephone game, right? You know, you whisper in one ear and then by the time you get to the end, it's completely different than when it started. Like, that was super obvious to me. Um, as far as some of the more like significant things, like I remember reading, uh, I forget, I think it was B.H. Roberts, is that his yeah. name? Mm-hmm. He had been charged by the church to sort of like, okay, let's look at this devil's advocate point of view and when you go into the reading anti-mormon literature they don't tell you he was trying to do devil's advocate right that was his purpose was to like i am going to try to make this as like convincing as possible so we can figure out how we can like you know defend against this and they don't tell you that right they just oh see this apostle he said this thing and you talked about that and they Mm -hmm. take it out of context and it it's just i mean this idea of fake news in our common era is the same thing right Mm -hmm. um 
see. I think that one thing that's interesting is like you're when we first started our conversation, you were talking about how the first time you read the Book of Mormon and you felt this power and you felt this feeling and you you couldn't deny it. And then like you talk about the other times in your life. Oh, and also following with that was you say you were so happy when you were going to church. You were so happy. And and then you talk about the times where you were drinking and partying and you were so unhappy. And And it's almost like by their fruits, you will know them. And mm-hmm. it's, it's really just incredible to hear your story and hear, you know, the times in your life when you were at peace and look at, you know, what was going on. And I think that you're so brave. What coming to church as a transgender woman and being able to be there because you believe that it's true and you have that testimony and I can imagine that it's really challenging because, you know, you don't know what, what, how people are going to react or what they're going to think. And, um, I think that it's so incredible that you, you are brave. And I think that you're somebody that can be a huge example for people. Um, and I'm, I'm wondering, um, what advice do you have for, people that are in the LGBT community that, um, you know, that are struggling and feeling like they don't have a place in the church, like what advice would you have for them? I mean, the first thing I'm going to say is maybe this is probably not what you want me to say, but I don't blame them if they don't feel like they can be here and be part of this. Like I, I don't because it's, I imagine it is not, it can't be easy for anyone. And I think in some ways I can be a little unique in that I'm able to sort of sit in that uncomfortable position between like what I believe and like, uh, I can't remember the word, but just like, I'm used to sitting in that uncomfortable position between being in a place where people are kind of uncomfortable, but being willing to like endure that because I know that by me doing that and by me being willing to do that, that in the future, other people who come behind me will hopefully have a different experience. I mean, I've had a really great experience, so I don't want to say like I haven't, but just, I don't, I don't blame anyone who can't handle it. Um, And you know, people kind of ask me, like, well, how do you, like, well, the church is true. Like, Joseph Smith was a prophet. Like, I've been out in the world. I've I've looked at so many different things. I've explored the very secular, that's what I was thinking, very secular world. Like, I, and there is nothing and nowhere that brings me the kind of joy that I get from going to church. And... And, you know, I also, 
to not get so lost in the like what's right and wrong in the world and the view of the world and really just try to be still and to try and know like internally in their heart what is right because I don't think they're going to go astray if they do that. I love that so much. Um, we have about two minutes left. Do you have any last thoughts or any anything you want to add to kind of wrap up this episode? Which, by the way, has been amazing. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, no, not really. Just I know the church is true. I know that it is. And I, I believe that I believe there's a reason that I got that sort of nudge to come back now. And I hope that I'm able to help others. Well, Emma, thank you so much for being on the podcast. And yeah, this has been so awesome. So thank you. (laughs) 